Greetings, listeners. Your friendly neighborhood Puka here. A quick apologies in order for this episode, which was delayed by a week in part because of significant audio issues that had to be worked out. On top of that, I had an allergy attack that kicked in and worsened throughout recording, so it sounds kind of like I'm speaking through a bowl of New England clam chowder. But the show, as they say, must go on. Thanks in advance for your patience, and without further ado, into the library we dive. This is Changeling the Podcast. Welcome to Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with this is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. Blessings. What are we talking about today, Puka? We are going to spend some time with that most goat-legged of kith, the satyrs, as we go through their kith book for second edition Changeling. I say most goat-legged, I think I mean only goat-legged, unless you have, like, a goat Puka. Yeah, I was about to say, there's probably some goat pukas. Or maybe a fuoth, but that's a while yeah. we're getting to them. We did have a goat puka back in the toy box, I think. But... Yeah. I would like to say, I just realized from reading this book, that if I had to pick a second kith after knockers to most fit me, it would be satyr. Hmm. Interesting. And I feel like there's more connections between them than the book makes explicit. But I look forward to you expounding on this. Yeah. I mean, it's funny about this book not making things explicit, but actually it's kind of a theme. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this is Kith Book Satyrs, all written by Angel McCoy. Who it turns out, I think, I believe Angel McCoy is one of the very few White Wolf writers who has like a properly fleshed out Wikipedia page. So you can actually mm. find out some solid information about her professional career. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she wrote a bunch of stuff. Other things. Well, yeah. Her role-playing game work vaguely mentioned here. Oh, she did Kith Book Puka. Yeah. Well, she did a bunch in Changeling. She did a bunch for Mage. She did some Vampires, some Hunter, but then also like the EverQuest role-playing game and some D&D stuff. So she seems to have done quite a bit in the industry and sort of fandom in general. But something that I noticed here, this I think is like the sparest credits page we've yet seen in one of these yeah. books. And it reads like a, if it wasn't for the 1998 copyright, I'd swear this was second edition. Like it's even printed in Canada. It's in color. It's Are they second edition. No, first edition. I'd feel okay. like it's first edition. <laughs> I spoke. Yeah. I'd feel like it's first edition if it wasn't for the 1998 yeah. copyright. And it's the last one in full color, which mm-hmm. I'm sort of sad about <laughs> until C20. Yeah foreshadowing slash spoiler i did not really care for this book that much i actually thought it was so close so often (laughs) it's not problematic in the way that some of the other books are yeah i have a million nitpicky notes exactly i still (laughs) found at the end going i enjoy this and if you treat it as a very unreliable narrator i think it's Mm. good if that makes any sense I think I'd like it more if I liked satyrs more too. I don't dislike satyrs, but I've never felt particularly drawn to them as a kid. So yeah, we can get into my thoughts on that. But yeah, we have sole author and then sole developer, editor, art director, and designer, Mm -hmm. three artists plus one cover artist who we've already seen this piece of art. So it's just like not many people were involved. And it makes me wonder if this was sort of like 
the beginnings of the end for Changeling. Like later mm-hmm. we'll get into the art house label and what that entailed. This is the last book of Changeling's Wilder Years? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> okay. And this takes us in. This is only 70 pages, basically. Let's do it. Um, yeah. So it starts in with a story about a mythic fae. I had a bunch of notes on this, mostly going, what are you doing, like, historically and mythologically to the Olympian gods? Like, which is like, okay, fine, it's a story. But, like, Apollo is on Sealy? What? <laughs> well, all, was... the, all the Greek gods, pretty much. Yeah. I think is and a then, choice. So. Which they present as, like, this is such an unseely kith. Well, we, we can get into that with chapter three. That's actually yeah. one of the parts that I'm more okay with. But yeah. with this opening story, so I was expecting, like we had seen in the other kith books, kind of a reason for the frailty, the passion's curse. Mm-hmm. But instead we get more of an origin story of one of their birthrights, which is the gift of Pan. Yeah, And with Pan, so that's, that's right. useful. I mean, it, and this part contradicts, like there's details that contradict in the next chapter from this chapter to that chapter. This is going to be a running theme in the book is internal contradiction. <laughs> Which is why, like, I think if you just treat it all as unreliable narrator, you need to. You need to just well, you can, story. But it's also it's also very much an omniscient narrator in the sense that it's not yeah. in character. So it's an unreliable yeah. out of character narrator. I mean, this is World of Darkness. That's not the first time, but yes. So just uh, briefly with this story, what did you think of the opening story? I thought it was okay. I don't know. Maybe it's too by the book or too paint by numbers a little bit feeling. Like well, it's adapting is... an actual myth. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe it's fine. I mean, I was mostly like, wait, why did they say he's the son of Dionysus here? Yeah. They don't even, I mean, it is a story. So like, this feels like, like a narrative so that eh, it doesn't have to be hundred percent reliable. This could be a story that they're, some Kragos is telling around the fire or something. I like how in the opening paragraph, Pan is described as having witch hazel eyes, which I suppose sounds mysterious, but it makes me think that his tears form a natural cleansing astringent. Mm-hmm. Something like that. It also falls into like Hera depiction reminds me most of the like Hercules TV series. Yeah. More than mythology. <laughs> like Hera screwed over Pan for being the... Well, to, to be fair, in the myth, she's she's quite vindictive. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah. It says here, the mercury, she rose from the mercury waters of Thoas Lake. Girl, get out of that water. If it's made of mercury, you don't want to be in there. Well, she's immortal. Or, oh, oh, the lady did. Oh, the, the <laughs> mortal woman. Anyway, yeah, so, like, he's, like, trying to, like, woo a woman in a, maybe it's playing with consent, but in a very, mm-hmm. like, romance novel way. And, and then, like, Hera doesn't like him, so she goes and gets her father to try to kill the girl. And then she runs away and then commits suicide because her family has been shamed, even though they didn't actually do anything besides talk about it. Yeah. And then he makes a pan pipe out of her dead, the, the reeds that grow out of her dead body. How romantic. Yeah. I, I actually have romance novel in my notes as well, because it did read like that to me. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. slightly higher quality than romance novel, but. Yeah. That being said, I don't know that I would want something that's more grandiloquent like we saw with the troll kiss book i think like the knocker kiss book hit exactly the right tone that i want for an opening mm-hmm. story and this did yeah. not hit that story. although that was a knocker tone too this yeah a, yeah 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 this doesn't feel like a story it feels like she telling a satyr story to yeah me, so. or boggins maybe 
Yeah, yeah, maybe. Trolls sell like, tell like a Seder story. There we go. That's what it is. I do like how sort of in Medias race it is because there's none mm-hmm. of the like, you know, when the Tuatha came, it's just like, oh yeah, by the way, Pan was here hanging out. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that it ends with like something in little italics and it's like there on the shores of Thoas Lake, Pan and Syrinx consummated, Syrinx, yeah, the thing birds have, uh, consummated their love and magic for their joining, produced blessed his children, the satyrs with the gift of Pan for the rest of eternity. Like that just sums it up. Okay, this is a fairy tale or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And to be clear, the consummation of their love was by Pan blowing on a flute he made from the reeds that grew through her bones, as you said. Yep. But he's so manipulative. Like, I mean, this is like classic emotional manipulation stuff. So she was totally on point to be like, get away from me. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, it's fine. I like it better than chapter one. (laughs) Yeah, chapter one was just like, okay, so it's the ancient history. I liked other chapters better. Yeah, chapter one's probably, I think, the worst of this book. I have so many notes. They're all on Seelie, the Olympian Fae, where I'm like, what mythological Seelie would you be assuming then from if these are the unseelie? Like, some of them, sure. You want to make Dionysus unseelie? Fine, right? But like, Apollo? I don't know. Apollo? He's the shining sun but guy. The, but that's like, the it's... thing with Greek myths, is that the gods are so callous and and impulsive like because okay okay so what myths are you thinking of where they aren't apollo chasing daphne yeah no no sorry what myths besides the greek myths are you thinking of where they're not oh, like oh, that? Oh. i think that there's some well i think that this gets back to the concept of seely versus unseely not being good mm-hmm. versus evil yeah i don't think the greek gods kind of operate on a code of honor in the same way that seely do or kind of value beauty in a removed way in the way that the Sealy Code says. I mean, okay. they seem to be big on honor and they seem to be big on hospitality and all sorts of stuff. I like think that. the Greek people were, <laughs> but not the gods. So. <laughs> uh, okay. But, Maybe we've read different. I mean, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the myths center on the gods pulling a fast one over on humanity, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I, I Maybe think... I'm contrasting them to like, you know, Norse gods. Well, that's a whole different, yeah. Which we didn't see any of in the Trolls Kids book. I mean, it was certainly an authorial choice. I'm okay with it. Yeah. I don't think yeah. it necessarily needed to be there, but I'll roll with it. That's fine. Yeah, That's not the part that aggrieved me the most. Oh, so and then fun. we have one on page 12, one little side bear bar talking about satyrs not all being hetero and stuff. And it, the rest of the book just throws that out. Before we even get there, I'm going to go through and like throw in a few of my little nitpicks here. Um, so at the, at the beginning of chapter one, page 11, where we hear about the sexual freedom of Lesbos, which is the island where the poet Sappho is from, where yeah. we get the word lesbian from. To my knowledge, Lesbos actually had no more or less liberated sexuality than the rest of Greece. Yeah. So like things like that. The sidebar on page 12, the other one that talks about love, Greek style, and like, yeah. oh, the Greeks were totally open about sex and love and all that. I'm like, were they though? I think we often have that impression because yeah. we think of like the progress of sex and sexuality as being this like ongoing arc towards liberation. And so to look at the Greek context where there was open 
not homosexuality, queerness of different kinds, because they yeah. wouldn't have recognized it as homosexuality in the modern time. Yeah, they had different norms. They right. didn't have no norms. Right. Um, and they weren't exactly atypical, you know? Mm-hmm. I think this sidebar and a lot of the sort of tilt at, at queerness in this book are very 90s. They're very rooted in yeah. that perspective. I mean, this is also World of Darkness, where, like, the verbena are based on a real apparently real thing and the hermetics are like there's a lot of that similar retake on history yeah i mean i was more annoyed by like between 1000 and 500 bc oh my gosh yes <laughs> i'm like no what no we have no that right and apparently when alexander the great took over everyone stopped believing in the olympians <laughs> yeah and it's like oh yeah look all these philosophers were all atheists i'm like um yeah. No, most of these weren't. I know it gets translated as like Socrates was imprisoned or whatever for atheism, but he wasn't an atheist. Anyway. Right. And it's not like science eradicated religion overnight in 330 BCE. Yeah, that's just no. I want to point to one thing on page 11 as well, where it says, In those distant days, Simon Frost prepared to take the Arcadian throne for the unsealing winter. <laughs> I know that's such a any idea terrible name referring to i don't know what that's referring to but also like simon frost is a guy from like three thousand years ago right. like did like arcadia invent modern kind of british sounding names is that is that what we're i i assume it's a reference to something but i just have no idea what so i looked i looked on the white wolf wiki to no avail well there's a simon frost with an instagram uh, and also a data scientist at LinkedIn. No, that doesn't help. Maybe it's connected uh, to the Arcadia CCG or something. I don't know. Maybe. Oh, there's the other thing it has. They handled the Arcadia in Greece and the Arcadia here. It's just Zeus named it because he wanted to be in charge of Arcadia. I'm like, yeah. Oh. Anyway. To be fair, that's no more anticlimactic than the actual association. So. <laughs> I could have made up something better. <laughs> so there's an interesting little thing. I don't know what I think about it, of the story of where the actual origins of the satyrs are. So there's presumably she, definitely Unseelie, Dionysus, who, due to petty politics, ends up partying a lot in goat skins. And then that leads to, like, the dreams of the mortals experiencing this stuff, dreaming of the satyrs who pop into Arcadia, get bullied, and then leave Arcadia for Earth and hang out with Dionysus after. And I'm like, that's a different take on where Kith's got. Like, the very specific details that I don't... On how yeah. a Kith has started. I do like the idea that mortal dreams gave rise to the Kith, but I don't think... Which we have seen for other Kiths, yeah. but I don't know that we've ever seen they popped into Arcadia and then came to Earth. Yeah, I feel like... I felt like there was, like, this, like, closet door or something that Kiths right. just pop, pop out of in Arcadia, and they're like, oh, that's another one. What's going on? Wait, there's a shoe on its head. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just spends so long talking about the she mm-hmm. again internal contradictions i'm still not clear if dionysus is supposed to be a she or some kind of protosator i'm not sure whether he left olympus from shame or from wanderlust if he did leave of sh- mm-hmm. out of shame was that because he was actually ashamed or just poking people around Di- dionysus is not a satyr but later maybe may referred to as a satyr well and it's also pans his son in the intro story and then yeah maybe became a satyr it feels like this was written piecemeal and mm-hmm. the details were not aligned. 
Yeah. It also never actually mentions that the satyrs go through the changeling way. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> what this reads like to me is I have a bunch of Greek myths that I want to adapt into changeling and satyrs are the obvious place to do it because it is yep. very Greece centric. And then later mm-hmm. we got kind of a shoehorned Celtic connection, which mm-hmm. to be fair, you do have like Krinonos and those other sort of horned God figures. So I'm like, all right, I guess you can work with it, but yeah. I mean, them hang that that part wasn't bugging me too much. The bit about how much they love Beltane and Beltane's their favorite thing after going through just how every satyr and everything about the satyrs is all based around the unseelie felt a little bit jarring to me. I don't know that they're saying all satyrs are unseelie. Yeah. But I'm not saying they're saying unseelies, but it's like they, they highlight Beltane as like the most important festival. And they also, I don't know, it, it, I'm not saying it's like a logical contradiction, but it feels a bit. Well, Beltane is the sexy time holiday, so. <laughs> yeah, but it's still like a thematic kind of what? Which is why, like, maybe maybe they should have, I don't know. I, I, would, have, have, I would have rather had them have the, the summer solstice be their thing, because you have, like, the Midsummer yeah. Night's Dream kind of stuff. Yeah. But I guess the She already have that one, too. So. Anyways. I just would have liked less, the, what Unseelie and Seelie is supposed to mean. Uh, this is also felt first edition, actually, about this. Yeah. Anyway, so we have all this stuff about Greece, a whole thing about Apollo, I guess, explaining the satyr's obsession with music. Okay. Mm-hmm. Page 17. I know that I've complained about the dizzying speed at which these books have gone through history before, but this sets a new record because we start at the top left of page 17 with that contest of music with Apollo versus Marcius and Pan trying mm-hmm. to claim the title of God of Music. And then we so end before the, the sundering. And then we end the page with Ellis Island. Yeah. So it's like the sundering is like three paragraphs, yeah. which they claim is Socrates' fault or Plato's fault or Aristotle's fault. I mean, I'll, I'll buy Aristotle's fault. But. It kind of goes through the same period of time from start to finish several times as well. Yep. And that timeline is ancient Greece. <laughs> this, is, this is another one of those books where it's like, this feels like a good first draft. And there's bits in here I like. I mean, I think the shattering section mm-hmm. is well done, where they talk about mm-hmm. the satyrs, sort of how they managed to like get through it. Before even the sundering, they're the most human involved kith, sure. Yeah. That tracks. So. And the whole industrial revolution being a problem thing, like, okay. The shattering also has the note that many satyrs resolve to stay on Earth despite the she, which is interesting because the she and the satyrs, or at least the, the unseely she who posed as Greek gods, they seemed really tight with the satyrs. So it's interesting that... Yeah. Well, those were the unseely she that were already banished from Arcadia. Yeah. Which means, I guess, is there a bunch of, like, in Greece, like a bunch of lost one Olympian gods stuck in Freehold somewhere, potentially? Well, we'll get to that. I do have thoughts about lost one Freeholds. Mm-hmm. So after they crossed the ocean to Ellis Island, they found the East Coast cities to, I guess, to Benal. And then they went to the Wild West. Mm-hmm. I kind of like this. I liked it less and less as I went through. <laughs> so. Yeah, they're the only ones the Nunahade like. And and then it was, okay, there was a line here later when the others did arrive. Yeah. Whatever. She and trolls, red caps and knockers, blew in. I'm like, she. Yep. In the what? 1890s. And this is not like the C20 kind of softer retcon Right. Like, there's enough she to be the... F- they must have been Liam and Skaha and maybe a few Fiona. Yeah. And Skaha would not have done that, because then people would have seen them. And Liam would have left behind their... Yeah, no. But all that being said, I like the idea of a satyr in the Wild West as, like, 
that's that's a habitat yeah. I can see them in. Before I got Werewolf Twenty, I, I had my only Werewolf core book was Werewolf the Wild West. So like, I almost want to run a Changeling game using that as the where Wild West Changeling could be fun too. But yeah. so the overall arc though is like the banality of science apparently drove some satyrs from Olympus to Britain and then from Britain to America. But there's so much other sort of wild animal man mythic territory to explore in those 2000 years. And I feel like we, I've been yeah. cheated out of it, you know, but I do like the note in here that the satyrs have always kind of remained independent mm-hmm. and that when commoners set up their own sort of nobility system or court system during the interregnum, the satyrs are like, you know what? We don't need that. We're going to just have our tragoi and be ourselves. Mm-hmm. So that I can see like bones in that. I don't think it's been fleshed out enough. Yeah. Did, did, you, did you like the like uh, boomer new age? satyrs um, i mean they had to do that kind of almost kind of yeah well in the 20th century is like a dizzying exercise in for satyrs particularly the back and forth between glamour and banality because it's like the mm-hmm. jazz age then the depression and world war ii and then the 50s but then the 60s but then vietnam but then the resurgence so it's just like yep and then there's a little line another, another confusing line so they have the accordance war do we want to go through the more accordance wars? Again, this feels first dead. At the end of the accordance war, there's this story about a, a Melazine, the first satyr lord. What? What's a satyr lord? Yeah. Do all the kiss get a lord? It's never mentioned, as far as I'm aware, anywhere else what the heck a satyr lord would be. Is is it like the first satyr with a title? What's lord? Yeah. Well, it seems to be like the head of the kith, but yeah, yeah, they're the they're the clan primogen. Yeah, this whole section it felt like a lot of little micro statements in a row about sort of specific points in history and like mm-hmm. and a vague barometer of their impact on satyrs. And yeah. there's nothing about what they did or how they handled it or who was around or yeah. how those memories have shaped their culture. With the accordance war piece, we get like more about that than most of most of human yeah. history it is interesting how they say the satyrs helped the she upon their return more than any other kith because they were so tight mm-hmm. but then resented them particularly hard after the night of the iron knight yeah. it also the invented soothsayer or something right yeah like just, okay <laughs> but now they don't like it <laughs> that piece where they're like oh yeah the satyrs have the gift of prophecy it makes me think that as court bard or advisor that's like yeah. a good role for them to have in a game yeah but then they take that the same the second paragraph basically says like they don't use it really anymore it's like I just give them the bard's tongue flaw and it works yeah i mean satyr with bard's tongue is if i ever had to have a like easy to play character very on brand yeah overall though i feel like i learned hardly anything new about the satyrs from this chapter and that was disappointing to me you know, I feel like I gained a lot of pieces of information I would choose to reject from my game. <laughs> well, it's it's all stuff that, you know, I'm just like, OK, that's fine. I don't really know what to do with that or yeah, why I should care that. It's like about it. the satyrs were around before the sundering and then they're around in the 20th century. Yeah. And there's not a lot in between. And there's just lots of like, OK, so the final paragraph of this chapter, you know, it's like. 
Satyrs have changed a little over the centuries. They drink, dance, and engage in sex like they always did. They corrupt the innocent, lift spirits, and provide an outlet for frustration. All is enthusiasm. They live for today. And it just doesn't tell me anything. It's, yeah. Well, that that. was also not a good summary of the chapter. (laughs) But anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah. So then, yeah, we get the Romeo and Juliet, this Romeo the satyr with his pipes and his two tin whistles is that a real instrument or is that just because i've seen stuff like that before yes there is a double pipe i think it's called the aulos in uh ancient greece okay but yeah that's the thing so this chapter is all about passion in which we get a comprehensive list of satyr passions because every satyr has a different one reading this made me feel okay so i still have problems with the chapter but mm-hmm. i like it a lot better than chapter one and this is the chapter where i'm like Wait a second, they start to feel like knockers to me. So, mm. but yes, they have, do you want to go through the passions? Yeah. Well, so they have romance where they say wooing is better than screwing. They court their would-be lovers in a very typical way, I guess, where it's like they enjoy the chase and they write poetry mm-hmm. and whatever. And this is specifically romance, not actual necessarily sexual pursuit. There is a sidebar that they tend to do reverie more than other kits due to their closer connection with mortals. And I like that. I think that that Mm -hmm. works well. That's see, that's like a specific piece of information that is deployable repeatedly and in interesting ways. That's what I'm giving. Yep. Then they talk about sex, including sex musing. It's like, I feel like it had to have it. I mean, surprisingly tasteful overall. (laughs) Then they have, uh, the non-monogamous satyr oath of true hearts, which I don't know if the original one. Maybe they changed it. Slightly, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Satyrs like sex, and it mentions the uh, reverie through sexploration, which comes up later. Another yeah. thing to point out about this chapter is that they repeatedly use passion with a capital P, and I'm like, wait, are they wraiths now? But uh... they they also at one point used goth with a capital G. So well, that's fun. The goth kith. So then there's a passion for music. Mm-hmm. This epigraph just pisses me off where the, the beginning says, music cures all ills, anonymous satyr. Everybody says that. Stop. Co- they are all quoting anonymous satyrs actually all over this. Yeah. They're all anonymous satyr quotes. Why aren't they real quotes? Yeah. The music one I found completely un- unnecessary. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, it's good to know they have a passion for music. These three paragraphs tell me nothing. Like yeah. they're really into music. Sure. They could have just had some bullet points of their passions, also including music. Yeah. Right. Athletics. That's kind of cool. People might not have thought of that, obviously, but it makes a lot of sense. I feel like that's still, I mean, all of this is stuff that's in the core book. I think that's what mm-hmm. I keep getting frustrated by. Uh, okay. One sentence that did great on me was, even the most satyr friendly of the Eastern religions grates on her nerves. I found that a bit... Uh, uh, it's like, right. Oh, wait, yeah. Was that the moralizing mar- martial arts instructors? I'm like, not that I'm like hugely experienced, but I sampled a lot of martial arts at one point, and uh, none of them were moralizing. I don't know what he's what they're talking about. Yeah. Also, we have a sidebar here that's the Satyr's Code for Good Living. It's all the kind of stuff that you would see on like a Pinterest mood board or possibly in some kind of bath shop. Like, yeah, I okay. I feel like part of this is it not aging well, yeah, a little bit. Like, 98 and 2023 are very different feelings on some of this stuff. Live and let live, seize the day, run free, don't hesitate. Don't 
Yeah, it's just like... They also like writing poetry, but they don't write it for anyone else but them. And then they get mad if they don't like it. The example they give is shit poetry. (laughs) Yeah. And then they have debate. Passion for debate. And that's when I started feeling very knocker in this. Like, knockers also have all these different passions. And that's where I was sort of thinking about it. Satyrs and knockers are the ADHD kiths. Both of them have the hyperfixation thing going on. But satyrs have a bit more like attention issues. That's it's I'm interesting saying. that you say that because I had a completely different take on that. <laughs> oh, um, maybe not completely different, but I was glad to see debate in there mm-hmm. because one of my sort of go-to inspirations for satyrs is like Plato's Symposium and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I like that that aspect is being attended to here, where it's we're going to yeah. sit around and-, and discuss things and argue about things and philosophize about things, and that can be a mm-hmm. passion. And I appreciate that. I like this better than what it contradicts with the whole philosophy leading to banality. And yeah. Yeah. But, oh, and then brewing. Yeah. Then there's passion for brewing. I would have liked some bullet points of just other passions you might not have thought of, or just a little bit. Right. Cause these are all yeah. sort of the ones you would expect. Yeah. It, it like, it almost implies, well, that's your passions. Then like later they have like, example characters and some of them have passions for other stuff and it's like okay cool but like what about your passion for painting for goodness sakes like or like model trains or yeah rock climbing i mean that's sort of athletics but you know and none of them are presented in a way different than how any other kids would approach them like all of them can be mm-hmm. boiled down to a satyr is really into x in a way that any other fae probably would be but it's supposed mm-hmm. to be what makes them distinctive and what makes like, not just that these are the things they're into, but that they're into them in a fundamentally more intense way than other changelings. And I don't really see yeah. how that's born out here. Like yeah. there's certainly no mechanics, at least at this point. I mean, we get a merit later that kind of addresses it, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's weirdly more useful actually to have this with C20's alteration of pan's gift of pan. Mm-hmm. Where it's now like expressing their pageant. Well, it's like you start debating, everybody starts debating. Right. That's interesting. Right. Yeah. 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 And I mean, right. there's stuff like we have a sidebar about ambrosia, which is just like, yeah, ambrosia is this really magical drink. But like, you don't tell you can't me have about it. how to make it. You don't tell me about whether it's still oh, present no. in Kit's society. Like... No, no, it's not still present in Kit's society. It says that. <laughs> so yeah. It's... Well, okay. So, <laughs> thing that once existed that we're not going to tell you any details about. Okay. Yep. And then unseely passions, pretty much the same thing, except they're more deviant. But they don't even really say what they are, besides dark performance art. Well, it says, like, the art of assassination. It's like, Eh. okay, well, there's something there, I guess. But Yeah, but it's the dark performance art that I'm just like, what? Is this like when you're like smearing blood on that in a art gallery? I mean, I've, I've seen some I've seen some performance art that I'd rather forget. But yeah. The penultimate part of the chapter is this single paragraph on what they call the living time, which is when satyrs throw themselves so wholeheartedly into their passion that they risk going overboard and becoming obsessed with it, and they might fall into bedlam, their tragos has to pull them out of it. That's something which, again, I can like grab onto and use in a game, and I wish that there were (laughs) more about that instead of stuff that... It does get brought up later, but yeah. It also is a thing, like I said... If you had to pick another kith, I think knockers could have that same problem. I guess in in the sense of, I don't know, I don't want to use the term hyperfocus because it's a clinical term, but that kind of intensity. Mm -hmm. But that's chapter two. Then there's a cool picture of a 
What kind of writing is that? I think it's just scribbles. Okay. Anyway, yeah. I do like the Leaf Jones art. I will admit. I like that satyr. I like the Grump satyrs who like read books for some reason. That's like my favorite satyrs. Well, speaking of Grumps and other phases mm-hmm. of life, we have the seemings to start off yep. chapter three, starting with the fawns. And yes, I'm aware there's an unofficial STV supplement that has fawns as a separate gift, but they're childling satyrs in this context. So the sealy fawns are bubbly, and the unsealy fawns are mischievous, basically menaces, untamed creatures. Mm-hmm. From this write-up, I feel like they want you to play an unsealy child, like Satyr, not a sealy one. Yeah, it seems more fun. The sealy is just like, oh, they're bubbly. The unsealy, it's, they carry frogs in their pockets and situate themselves to look up ladies' dresses. Yeah, this whole book is so heteronormative. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Besides that one sidebar. Well, and and that one character who we get as well. So Yeah. The Canadian one. But we'll get there. Mm -hmm. Now that has other... Yeah, there's other issues there. (laughs) So then there's the Wilders who are the wild ones. They pursue their passions and seem to prefer doing that than with engaging in any other aspect of fey life. Uh, We also have these sidebars on honesty is the best policy, which I think is actually helpful because it talks about like, oh, Mm -hmm. sinners can't keep a secret. Being impulsive, it makes sense there. They're like, it's not that they can't lie. It's not that they won't lie. It's not that they can't play tricks with lying. But like, the default is to just sort of like blurt out truths because that's yeah. They have no filter. Yeah, which I like as a as a character trait. That's something Mm -hmm. fairly new that I like and fits into that bard's tongue, you know, courtier kind of thing. It fits sort of with their with their frailty too. Perhaps. And then Lost Pain and Death, which talks about the sort of dark side of that emotional intensity. Again, pretty good at illustrating like the dark side of those extreme feelings. There's also a sidebar on Seder fashion, which is pretty forgettable. But then the Grumps bar, or the Grumps half page, this I thought was beautiful. Like, mm-hmm. perfectly done. If I were to play a Seder, I would absolutely play a Grump. Because they are the most interesting Grumps Maybe not the most, yeah. one of the more interesting grump kits. I could do a one shot as a childling or a grump, yeah. Because the childlings and the wilders both come across as pretty one dimensional. Whereas mm-hmm. the grumps have this balance of like, they have this lifetime of experience and stories and sayings. They're mentors and elders. Mm-hmm. They might be experts at their passion. And all of that is staving off this extreme depression that they're feeling yeah. at the end of their glory day. For some weird reason, I feel more like playing Grumps now when I first was introduced to Changeling. I'm not sure why. but And then I really like the Dance of Death thing. I do like this as well. I'm trying to remember how much of this is cribbed from the Player's Guide, though. Because we did uh, talk okay. about it already. Hmm. I mean, I'm fine to see it again. It's just, I don't know that this is a, a particularly new take on it. I was kind of annoyed how Calafetos gets defined like three different times. In different ways. Mm. <laughs> is it the wordless dirge or is it the actual call to the group to do the celebration or is it the dance because then they dance or is it the orgy? Like, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a very, I mean, the gist of it is that as they near the end of their lives, Seder Grumps choose, some of them choose to um, call together their Tragos to see them off and like they all get together and affirm their commitment to living. And if the Grump changes their mind they can say like oh yeah you're right you know life is worth living or they can decide i've had enough i want to go out in my prime there's a big party and orgy and all nearby mortals with penalty less than five feel aroused and then at the end the satyr walks into the sunrise alone leaving his sleeping companions behind 
it's unclear whether they die or they just forget their fey nature and the fey soul goes dormant. I feel like that was actually stated elsewhere, but now I can't remember. <laughs> I think it's they go, their fey soul goes dormant. I, I think forget it goes everything. But I am thinking now, again, this is something to go back and check, with C20's decoupling of seemings, does this really matter anymore? Because I have become a childling. I think, though, if you're at risk of falling to banality, it doesn't explicitly say this in C20, but it feels like if you are at risk of falling to banality that way, you're going to be a grump. It's not tied to age, but I think it is tied to banality still. I suppose that's fair, yeah. Oh, weirdly, on page 35, at the top right corner of the Caliphate sidebar, we have a kith icon with red border. Wild. And a purple background. I love that. Wait, sorry, page 35? Yeah, the Caliphate sidebar. Look at the little glass uh, Maybe I have to go get my physical copy. I'm looking at the PDF right now that I just downloaded. It doesn't have that. Oh. Mine has a, a standard kith icon on the left, and then a red, like, white-red border with purple background hmm. on the right side. Anyway. Yeah, mine's totally normal. I think the most solid part of the book is the next section on the nature of the Tragos. Yep. So these are satyr motleys. Yeah. Which are much more interesting than basically any other kind of single kith motley. Especially some some of them don't entirely have satyrs. Yeah. And it's like not quite motley, not quite oath circle. Somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. I do like the note later as well where they say that a Tragos is not bound by sort of enforced loyalty like they don't swear oaths to each other mm-hmm. they're just together because they like being around each other and they support yep. each other is is this where you want to talk about nikos of the north or do you want to wait till the other chapter well this part with nikos i think is a little bit less problematic mm-hmm. um, we get three examples of tragoi i think would be the plural and i think this is the only kiss book where we actually get like groups of this kind yeah i suppose it's the alternative to having secret societies or something but yeah. It does mention, like, from my understanding, med school being incredibly banal and, and really hard to get through. From everything I've heard, that does fit. So, yeah. <laughs> Although the first edition is, is kind of showing through here because it is that, like, well, so Nikos of the North and his Tragos is the section we're looking yeah. at. And the backstory here is that this satyr named Nikos had a lover who was committed to an asylum and died in there. And Nikos wasn't able to rescue him in time. So he swore that he would do all he could to save others from a similar fate. So he got a doctorate in psychiatry along the way and like fought through the banality to come out the other side. He and his group go around rescuing people who are wrongly institutionalized, which, you know, (laughs) the first edition thing about anyway. Yeah. Thorny topic that I see where they came from and really should have handled better. Yeah. Is that fair? I don't think ignoring it entirely would have made sense either, but... Again, it was an authorial choice. Yeah. I guess it's okay. I'm glad that it doesn't go any deeper than it does here. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Then there's the San Francisco yeah. Tragos, which basically just has a goth BDSM bar. It's pretty yeah. straightforward and really not that interesting. The Eden Tragos, which is like... I feel like that is the most boggin <laughs> Tragos like i just picture like the second most common kith there being boggins and they even talk about like a little slua colony within it so a slua tea room a slua tea yeah where they're all probably not wearing clothing yes because this is a nudist slash art colony in the florida keys yep but you could run a game there like it gives you enough information that you could run a story in mm-hmm. that setting yep uh, talks about matchmakers 
Yeah, so so then we get into the, well, not the court politics, because it specifically says court politics bore satyrs. So the other stuff that they do in a court or face social setting, mm-hmm. matchmaking being one of the things. Would you rather have a satyr matchmaker or a boggin matchmaker? <laughs> well, they say they work together on it sometimes. Yeah, but I think they have like... very different goals. So. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've had satyr matchmakers, but perhaps didn't go great it didn't work out well so i don't think court bard is a more is a meteor role for them in a mm-hmm. angling set in a court setting we do actually get significant amounts of information about sort of their relationship with the sealy and the unsealy code which i think is good mm-hmm. we hear about their the sealy satyrs are really into preserving glamour they refuse to swear oaths often which makes people suspicious but it's only because they take oaths so seriously mm-hmm. And then their perspectives on honor are more centered on respect for others than any kind of personal glory. Obviously, they're mm-hmm. driven by love and beauty. I do like how they still highlight honor being also revenge or whatever. As well, that's the debt part. That's the never forget a yeah. debt. <laughs> never, sorry, never forget a debt. Sorry, yeah. We've pointed to that before as a Sealy thing. So, And then, well, I said this section was great, but really it's the Sealy section that I think is meaty because then the unsealy is like, they're so deviant. And it just kind of says that repeatedly in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't want to get into the details. So just alluding at the details, it, most of the allusions would only be to somebody who's in that world, at which point you're going to be offended. They do that a lot. That's what it's, it's another first ed aspect of this. It also specifically says that they're kind of like, they have a superiority complex with regards to mortals and they're kind of just like toying with them. And while I can see that angle... I would, mm-hmm. I would have liked there to be a little bit more to what it means to be an unsealy satyr. I think you could go in different directions with it besides just this thing uh, one over God and over. God damn it. I think I just thought of like my 12th idea for a Storyteller Vault supplement. Add it to the list. Yeah. I want to like revamp the two courts, but not change a different angle. But I don't know how to make that into a compelling book. But anyway. And then we have a... So you have a she eating a fancy bowl of carrot sticks? I think they're twiglets. Uh, what are twiglets? They're like this little candy thing. Anyway. Or they might be they might be like those like Chester like the the um Cheetos, maybe? Anyway. <laughs> I'm staring at this picture yeah. too much. Yeah, there's the thoughts on all the other kiths, which I'm like, eh. I found it interesting that it said they were kind of indifferent to the Shadow Court because literally the first Shadow Court character we ever met was Malakar the Satyr. But yeah. yeah, I would have loved to hear more about like Seder leftists and Antifa and crust well, and well, things okay. like that. This Shadow Court feels pre-Shadow Court, right up of the Shadow Court. And then there's another picture that just sticks in my brain of two satyrs kissing a red cap who's holding a iguana thing or dragon. That was an artistic choice. Yeah. Should we very briefly kind of describe their stereotypes? Yeah. So the Boggins, they find tedious, but they're sometimes useful. Unsealy satyrs don't respect them at all. Nishu make fun friends. In in many senses of the word. Mm-hmm. They just think that Ishu are, some Ishu are a little bit too stuck up. Yeah, for, for all the similarity you're pointing to with the Knockers, it seems like the satyrs rarely find it worth the effort to like hang out with them or even bother teasing them. Yeah. See, this, is, this feels like one of those, like, I don't know, it's like a trope almost on TV or like... Sometimes in real life, you're like, these two people would really get along if they just actually properly talk to each other. It sounds like my entire love life. 
the exception is that when the knockers make awesome instruments, which makes me think yeah. of that knocker we saw in Kithbook knockers. <laughs> Love hate relationship well, with the puka. Yep. I feel like they should get along a little bit better than this section yeah. implies, but I mean, they have them like getting along really. Again, this all feels like one satyr's take, right? Or maybe two satyr's take. Yeah, one satyr, one satyr. Like, because they really like the red caps a lot more than I was expecting. The note, though, about satyrs being jealous of Puka for being able to shape change, I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. That's that's a nice little note in there. Well, you just need to give them metamorphosis then, and they can shape shape too. Yeah, that art hadn't been created yet. Oh, I thought it was the original playwrights guy. Fool's oh, luck. fool's luck. Okay, yeah. Yeah, they envy the red caps' freedom. Yeah. Although the the unsealy are much more okay with the violent streak than the sealy mm-hmm. ones are. Yes. Uh, how do unsealy feel about sealy red caps? That would just be. Really... <laughs> that's a hookup relation. That's a relationship. Oh, dear. Well, that's that's the picture on page forty. On page was that 40. the C- Is that a sealy red cap? Two unsealy satyrs? Is that what you're saying? I mean, he seems. Do you think he's about to eat that iguana? It's his friend. He's not going to eat his I pet. Think, yeah, I think he's a sealy red cap with an iguana companion. Okay. Anyway, the she, they just really want a bone. Yeah, that that makes sense, but it doesn't work well. It kind of fits the like all the many many books we've had so far on she talking about satyrs. So, and their secret satyr lovers. Yeah, I do like to note that the attraction is kind of used for personal satisfaction or outright manipulation but then the unsealy she are like more than a match for the satyrs when it comes to the latter mm-hmm. then you have the slua where it's like i thought that was a little interesting take that i wouldn't have mm-hmm. thought of for the slua thing where they're they don't really understand each other but there's kind of this weird mutual respect yeah or at least satyr respect for slua they don't know what the slua think of them the biggest hang-up seems to be the extroversion versus isolation piece like that mm-hmm. that's what separates them more than anything else and, and that's what spoke to my social life so much but apparently trolls are mightier than thou but that's okay because they are what <laughs> i mean the, the satyrs find them tiresome because they're so stuffy but they're the noblest of kiths at least to the sealy so that's like how, over half the kith write-ups of trolls yeah it's funny the trolls are perceived as one-dimensional by everybody else <laughs> I think they're kind of perceived as one-dimensional by trolls a little bit, but... Perhaps. And then we get the Galane and the Nunihi, and I want to be okay with this, but I can't. <laughs> it's just... Yeah. I think it was somebody taking with what was written about Nunihi so far and then told to run with it. Like, Well, the piece that works for me is the idea that the satyrs of all of the Kithane are the ones sort of most conscious of their impact on their surroundings. Yeah, like particularly in regards to nature, and I'm like, oh, all right, that that makes sense, and I can understand them kind of like having a mutual respect with the Nunihi on the basis of that. But the way that the write up kind of goes here is it creates the same sort of like really really cringy noble savage trope that we see throughout first edition, mm-hmm. and it implies this. I think is the really problematic part. It implies that this is a choice for the satyrs to be like that, but it's the default for the Nunyahi. Like, oh, they're just yeah. like that. Arrgh, this could have been fine. Yeah. So. I didn't think of that, yeah. But it's like, I mean, this feels like we're right back to the first, the beginning yeah. of the first edition with that kind of take. And like, oh. uh, That's one felt player's guide. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a similar alignment with the Selkies on the Love of Nature piece, as well as, big news, nymphs, dryads, and other inanime. 
Yay. And Inanime was written by Angel McCoy as well. So mm. I kind of feel like it's criminal to have this little info on them because, you know, nymphs and satyrs, like that's such a, a classical yeah, pairing. Well, and well, given how hard this book leans into the Greek roots. Well, this just makes me even more confused about when this book was written. Because this is like later second edition then. The other stuff we keep going like, this is very first edition. And when was this made? They all hate vampires. But they're pretty cool with werewolves, especially the Fianna, just like all the other changelings. Mm-hmm. You think they would have said Kichobu Nagai or something? Yeah. I think they just like the partying aspect. Mages, they're kind of like, they sound cool. We don't really hang out with them. They do cantrips. <laughs> yeah. And then wraiths, they're like, it's like, uh, what was wrong with you to become a wraith? <laughs> it is interesting that they kind of point out, oh, wraiths would actually like hanging around satyrs because they're so much fun. Yeah. I think that makes sense, but I also don't know how satyrs yeah. would know that or why they would care. <laughs> so, well, they've talked to enough Slua's who go, you have wraiths around you. I guess so. But they don't talk to Slua that much. So, yeah. Yeah, they re- they're remarkably knowledgeable about wraiths, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Considering. I guess this is maybe looking forward to C20. It's foreshadowing of them having the autumn art or something. Yep. Overall, I felt that this was definitely the meatiest chapter. It's still... Mm-hmm. It still has its shortcomings, and I still feel like I haven't learned as much as I wanted about the kith, but out of all the mm-hmm. chapters, it's the one that feels the strongest to me. And then we have some art. It's definitely yes. a drawing. As we enter chapter four, a satyr is getting knighted. Does she have antennae? What is happening here? I think that might be... Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> And the, I, was and the, say, I thought it might be like her bangs sticking forward, but yeah, it does definitely look like she's... And what's happened to that she's arm in hand position? This is also Paul Phillips' art, and anatomy okay. is optional. Well, I was confused because in color. I don't think I've seen Paul Phillips in color yeah, before. Yeah, I think this is the only time we see Paul Phillips in color. Anyway, this leads us into some satyrs of renown. I'm going to preface this by saying... Clearly, a lot of thought was put into these backstories. These are richer, famous changelings than I think we get in any of the other Kith books. However, <laughs> these feel like PCs and NPCs from Chronicles to me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Several of which I don't think I would want anywhere in my game. Mm. Nico's the North. I'm just. So. <laughs> and then the stuff about his, how he grew up after seeing his. Born to a Native American family. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where it feels on the surface, it's like, oh, wow, this is really... You have First Nation Seder who got a doctorate in psychology to help fight the system from the inside and had this queer love story. Mm -hmm. But then through it all, it's just like tragedy porn. And it's just not great. (laughs) Well, he also would have been... How old do you... Okay, what year do you think he would have been born? Late 50s, early 60s? Because it's yeah. earlier that his struggle well, started in the Well, he academy. absolutely would have been in the residential schools. Well, I, don't, I mean, I don't know the history and the details of how that shook yeah. out for different families in different parts of Canada at different times. But regardless, the fact that that piece of his identity is tied to, like, they lived in poverty and his father was yeah, no, that's bad and his too. parents yeah. had mental health issues, which is what got him into it. It's like, you didn't need all of that to be yeah. in there. Well, you can't tie that stereotype out of the residentials anyway maybe they don't know that um but still yeah and then we have the the suffering queer trope 
I want this to be my favorite character, but I can't bring myself to that point. Would it depend on who made this character originally? It might. But yeah. I do think it's valid to have a character with those aspects as a method of like yeah. addressing something like addressing some kind of social problem or inequality but that's not what's happening here well that's also they pile it on like that's not actually what they're talking about it was just like a side point it doesn't add anything to his story as a character anyway and then we have his protege who's named doc sawantha it's like sawan and samantha but a pun because it's clever yeah why is she looking through a microscope i don't know Did Kithbook knockers have like some knocker physicist in a lab coat doing like this theoretical physicist or something? That's like the level. Of... Yeah. And then Rabid Frank. I'm like, what is going on here? This seems like it's playing into a, a type of satyr that maybe should have been mentioned earlier in the book. To be fair, I do think what doesn't come across well in this section. So basically he's like this infamous ravager. And there's all these urban myths around him about like the awful things that he does to innocent mortals in the park. But I like the idea of he's not actually as bad as the stories say. He's still really awful, but people have exaggerated his awful. How's that ravaging? Like you saw a naked guy? Is that the ravaging? Uh, I was talking more about the tales of him eating children and tearing joggers limb from limb and whatnot. Okay. So it says he takes bestial pleasure in terrorizing lone runners, frightening secretaries, and harassing anyone wandering eh, okay. the park. Yeah. But then the urban myths are all about being mm, Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he meets this nice satyr lady, and she kind of tames him. It's like my fair satyr. Yep. And now he's falling to banality, and she... Okay. I think you're right, though. That these were probably characters in a game. <laughs> like, found yep. in. Uh, we have Jason Walken Cameron. He looks, that's the perfect art for this character, I think. Yeah. He runs the nudist resort. I did like the little piece about how he has his Edenistic philosophy and he's 55 years old and he knows he's slipping into the myths and everything. Like he actually is a really well-rounded character packed into two paragraphs, which I agree. Yeah. I've met a lot of these guys (laughs) too. Uh, Sir Ida Sunbeam, the giant slayer. Oh, okay, so that's a good guy. She doesn't have antennae. She just, it's just her hair is doing something. She's got rebellious bangs. Then Asphalt Joey, who's like an Appalachian wandering blues musician turned Chicago barkeeper. He's not filled out, but I like what is there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fine. And Red Charlotte, sex line runner. And then the everyone goes out and like, Sometimes we'll sleep with people that need it. Yeah. I think this is probably about the most tasteful way to handle the trope of like the hypersexualized satyr. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was okay with it. Yep. But all of these, I mean, I don't know how many of them I'd actually want to use in a game. If any, mm-hmm. <laughs> if I like, but like I said, I appreciate the level of thought and detail that went into it because we've seen characters that had two or three sentences. I mean, I could use Jason Cameron, maybe. Uh, Sir Ida Sunbeam, if I needed a generic knight, she could work. And she's Sir, not Lady. Yep. Yeah, they're fine overall. As far as these go in Kith books, I think it's actually like pretty good <laughs> comparatively. Let's compare that with the templates in Chapter 5. Hey, I've also seen worse of templates uh, in Kith books. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by pointing out that the character sheets for these um, are... I think all of them are different from each other. 
Many of them have the knocker abilities of chimerical alchemy and gematria. Oh, Many yeah. of them have misspelled abilities like we have linguistics with a Q and incestigation with an X, which I don't know how I feel about that word. And that's like apart from the usual mishmash of dots that don't add up to the actual character creation math. And yeah, it's just... Yeah, none of them took chimerical alchemy or gematria. Hmm. More fool them. I didn't find any of these particularly compelling i mean i like seasoned scholar but you still have that that trauma porn in it yeah that's true you know i i will say so she had probably the most awkward chrysalis which is like striking back against an abusive parent is what got her to break into her beating up her dad that was the yeah but the chrysalis that i actually really loved was the olympic athlete who awakened to their nature when they fell during a race and got a compound fracture of their ankle and looked down and saw a hoof. Now that yep. chrysalis. Yep. Maybe that would be my favorite then the Olympic athlete, certainly cooler than the Billy goat gruff or the playful kid. And definitely the incurable romantic who I just, I couldn't even, I can't linger on that page. It's too painful. I, the Billy goat gruff like is one of those I could pull in for a minor NPC. I think. I suppose. Retired gangster Seder in a, Hawaiian print shirt. What more do you want? The shirt is definitely on brand. I'll give it that. Yeah, playful kids just that that's it. That's the entire character. <laughs> yeah. I think that goes into liking the unseely better and see. I think it would still be tiring either way. But yeah. and the Olympic athlete, again, that's the entire character. I just really like the Chrysalis story. Yeah. I don't really expect to be wowed by templates. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of flipped through this, but yeah. yeah, so I guess the seasoned scholar you would like better if it was less background. Or, well, different background. <laughs> yeah, different background, yeah. Anyway, chapter six. Toys, tools, and tangents. There were a lot of merits and flaws in here. In the back of the book, it says, this is only available for satyrs. And like some of you, I'm like, why? Right. Yeah. Oh, you're good at singing. That's not only satyrs are good at singing, for goodness sake. Flexible heart, which it says, unlike other satyrs, you're like what they said other satyrs are like. Okay. Well, it does have a really nice mechanical benefit, I thought. One extra willpower to control yourself in a situation. I'm like, oh, that's actually kind of... Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's worth two yeah. points, but I like that. And then we get the passion merit. So this is where it's actually spelled out that this is uh, everything in chapter two, I guess. Yeah, well, it says everyone gets a passion. You just get minus two difficulty. Right. It's intimidating satyr sexy satyr and then sexual reverie i'm like hmm i don't know if this should be a merit shouldn't this should be like a thing people do potentially i think the idea is that only satyrs with this merit have access to that method of doing reverie which i'm actually fine with i think that that's... Uh, when they go through everything going through it i'm like i think this should just be reverie but just most people don't do it anyway gut instincts you're hard to be surprised yeah that i was just kind of perplexed by <laughs> swarthy i think i have that flaw I, I think what they meant was her suit, and I felt really awkward yeah. about their use of swarthy. Yeah. So, broken voice, wishy washy, eh, kind of male. I actually Maybe like that okay. one. That might be my favorite flaw <laughs> in the book because the mechanical thing has teeth, where it's you have to make a willpower mm-hmm. roll to make a decision, basically. So it's indecision ramped up. Yeah. And three points. I was mostly just like trying to make right a joke amount. about being wishy washy about it, but yes. Ah, I see. Procrastination. Perfumed a goat. I think this might have been in the Shining Host. 
No, that couldn't have done make any sense. This must this been reprinted somewhere at Perfume to Go. It must have been. I just can't believe it's worth four points. You're really stinky, and it just gives you the red cap flaw. Yeah. <laughs> All red caps also don't have a problem with it, but it doesn't actually say that in the plus two difficulty. Yeah. Issues. Uh, that one I don't like. I would say issues is like a four point excuse for someone to not role play, which is not good. However, mm-hmm. if you have a player who is anxious about kind of getting into role playing, like if it's a new player or whatever, this mm-hmm. is kind of like a four point bonus you can give them. Yeah. Sexual hang up. I'm trying to picture what game would this be worth five points, and I really don't want to play that. And I'm open to some sort of role playing. Some people might not be, but no, that's just. Yeah, and I'm trying to figure: is it issues or sexual hangup with the picture of the? Oh no, that's the level four treasure. Okay, that makes more sense. Speaking of treasures, yeah, this was kind of neat. The Thyrus, Thyrsus, Thyrsus. Sorry, Thyrsus. It says it's made in British oak and then Greek pine cones. Yeah, again, they're really leaning into the whole British Greek connection, which is is Greece known for pines? No, but it's known for Thirsty. Okay. Anyway, it's kind of neat. Okay, weapon. We have the Grapes of Wrath, which I believe they came up with the pun first and then figured out what their treasure did. Most likely. It gets you drunk without being drunk, but it like doesn't lower your um, hand-eye coordination and stuff. Yeah. That could be fun. And then the Horn of Hermes, which is the tuba of speed. Oompa of the tuba receding into the distance. <laughs> This is an odd <laughs> choice. <laughs> um, the Halcyon Halter. And this one, I mean, it was a little strange. So it's like a level three treasure, but basically it just kind of makes you feel okay when you put it on. And then someone else can use it who's not wearing it? But like as soon as you take it off, you feel bad again. So yeah. anyway. Minoan Mosaic. Okay, that's just getting... <sighs> I wouldn't take this treasure as a, as a character asset, certainly. Now... Sands of Time is broken powerful. Yeah. A pinch of the sands of time blown into the face of an injured changeling heals all her wounds and illnesses. One might even suspect that time reverses itself to a moment when she was whole and healthy because the sands often have a rejuvenating effect. Nice. Like, that is... Actually, when you look at healing magic and changeling in any edition, that's crazy powerful. And then Syrinx, the pan pipe. Which, I don't know, it doesn't really seem... It's a legendary treasure. The power doesn't really correspond to legendary level to me, but... Yeah. And then character sheet. With mining and chimerical alchemy and gematria. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. that's. Uh... You've said before, but overall thoughts. I just don't think it really expands enough on the Kith, and that's what I okay. want a Kith book to do. You know, like I said, the strongest parts I thought were where they call out like the, the love of life philosophy and the roles that they find in Kithane society mm-hmm. beyond what most people assume them to have. Yep. The silly and unsealy part, although I wish we had more about their apparent tendency to um, switch back and forth frequently. But I mean, when you weigh that against like the quality of the research and the history. So, and all of that. Here, here's a way we could rate it. Back to the book says what the book does. A complete history of satyrs from the origins in ancient Greece to the modern day. I don't, I wouldn't call that complete. No. An in-depth look at society and culture of the satyrs. 
and numerics, flaws, and treasures available only to Seder characters. It definitely had some merits, flaws, and treasures in it. Most of which probably should be available to non-Seder characters as well. Yes. God, the font on this back cover. What is going on? It's it's really hitting me doing this podcast that there aren't... The average quality of a Kith book in Changeling is not high. No, it is not. As far as Kith books go, this might be above average, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Let's go like, through the other four first. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I, I put it above Trolls, and we did the Knocker episode. I still hold that Slua is... Yeah, I put it below Slua. Yeah. Slua probably is the best kid book. This book's, yeah, it's... Tame. Lacking passion. Ironic. Yeah, it's not pushing boundaries. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff that's in it, it's not stuff that is is Seder-centered. So, like, we have sample groups, because we have those three Tragoi. We have Crunch. Mm -hmm. But... It's stuff that you would have, you could have for any kith. Yeah. What I would have liked to have, I would have liked to see more about the harmony with nature that gets highlighted. Like, what does that mm-hmm. entail? How is it different from other kiths that see themselves as being in harmony yeah. with nature? I would have liked to see more about the culture surrounding uh, their passions that aren't sex. <laughs> yeah. I would have liked more about their history outside of Greek myth and yeah. the 60s or the later 20th century. And especially, I was thinking about the House Dougal discussion we had for Book of Houses. I would have loved to see something about their body consciousness because, like, they're half goat. And, like, that yeah. never really gets mentioned yeah. besides the fact or that the thing. Yeah, it, at least it should have gotten into, like, how they feel about chimerical alchemy and gamatria. Well, that too, but... <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's, like, that's stuff that only could appear in the Seder Kiss book, mm-hmm. legitimately. And... yeah. I feel like those were missed opportunities. And instead we got things like there used to be this stuff called ambrosia. I'm like, all right, well, yeah, I could have figured that out on my own. You're talking about Greece enough. I know enough about Greek myth or can look into mm-hmm. it enough to figure that out. So two do lister questions. Yeah. Let me get off my soapbox and then listener yep. questions. So I think we can conjoin Louis Armander's first question with Lucid's question because Louis Armander asks, I remember there was a mention of Minotaur centers and other half-animal fae, but what happened to all of them? While Lucid says, books and ideas for trying to bring the reference to centaur and minotaur kits into modern-day changeling. So the short answer is, I guess they were just too unbelievable to last in the autumn world. Well, they didn't say they were totally wiped out in this book. They said they were like mostly gone, so... That leads me to, in terms of hooks, I think a very easy one is to just have a lost one freehold. The probably easiest example of which would be the labyrinth on Crete. Have a minotaur that's been holed up there for thousands of years and has gone deep into Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. I, I saw somebody do some fan write-up and I can't find it anymore. And it was like all minotaurs with like bikes and horses and scooters. And I, I really liked it. It had some good art and I don't know what happened to it. I actually had a story hook idea that like, as I was typing up my notes kind of came to me out of nowhere, which was, I liked the idea of there being this mysterious antler crown that mortals find. And when they put it on, it enchants them into believing that they're herns, which are half human, half deer for a night, maybe on like Beltane Eve. And then there are changelings that like find out about this and they're investigating it. 
and slowly start to deduce that there are still actual herns like hiding out somewhere in the deep, deep, deep forest. So occasionally having there's... wild hunts, you know. For fur herns, why not use Fearbulg? Why have Dark Ken when you don't need them? Yeah. Sandchigger asks Sexual hangup, best or worst flaw in the book? Worst. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Follow up. What are your picks for best, worst merits and flaws? Passion for merit, wishy washy ways for flaw. I would go. Actually, I like inspiration for merit. I just always kind of thought the gift of pound should function like that anyway. Well, it works differently in, I think, second edition than it does in C22. It does. Yeah. And then, uh, I don't know, I kind of like Broken Voice. <laughs> <laughs> Perfume to Goat just seems, seems like it shouldn't be four points, but otherwise I'd be okay with it. But... Ash asks, Satyr's Augment in the Far and Deep Dreaming, would you run it as written or replace it with something else? So if we're talking about second edition Augment, it basically just keeps increasing Satyr's stamina. It makes their Gift of Pan more and more irresistible. And it makes Passion's Curse more and more derailing for them. So mm -hmm. that's probably two things I would change. I would make Passion's Curse not so derailing in the Deep Dreaming because it's like... Well, deep Dreaming. Would you... Right. Would, if somebody says, hey, do you want to run a game in the Deep Dreaming using the Augment rules in Dreams and Nightmares? I'm like, I can't run a game like that. What Any Kith, pretty much. Your freaking red caps are eating everybody and you're, no, your she can't even conceive of anyone having opinions and yeah. like, no i can't do that so for that reason i would say passion's curse should have some kind of cap to it but i'd also like physical prowess to do more interesting things because aside from the stamina bump it makes them faster runners i want them to have like tremendous leaping skill or gain some kind of dexterity yeah. thing so yeah pull out exalted uh yeah from exalted uh athletics charm yeah something like that yeah. I also noticed in C20, they got rid of... They said satyrs run fast, and it doesn't actually say how much faster. <laughs> I was just looking at it. Today. Well. Luna Andromeda Vebe asks several questions. How would you use the plot point that the Greek gods were a court of unseelie fae in a normal changeling game? I wouldn't. Yes, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> like, what plot point is that? Like, Anyway, I've actually reused greek gods as like tuatha de Danon before yeah or something like the tuatha de Danon. i wouldn't use them as she how would you do with the plot point conflicting with vtm lore i'm like vtm lore said everybody was a vampire you can't well obviously you should take the changeling over the vampire and that yeah it just makes more sense metaphysically but i also think the vampire ones are mostly like demigods and heroic mortals because you have like helen of yeah. troy and what Greek god do you think fits fits best as Fey? Like Pan? Pan is the satyr? I mean, that kind of works. I think Hermes works. Hermes feels like he should... I don't know. He feels like he should be something else than a... He doesn't feel like he should be a she if most of the other Olympians are a she. Oh, not necessarily a she, no. I think Hermes should be yeah. a she. Yeah. And I already had Persephone in Kispokio Zoo as a... Spoiler. Um, mm -hmm. But I think, I think any of them you could make work. But none of them would be changelings, probably. They would all be like, Fey with a capital well, Fey. Yeah. So. yeah, and that's a whole other question of what are the Fey before the shattering, let alone before the sundering. Yeah. And then finally, Andrew Goodman asks, I don't know if this was a general question for the channel or uh, for this episode, but I'm going to mention it. What do people consider a temptation to indulge their passion for a satyr? 
And this is kind of trying to take the satyrs beyond the sex stuff, because that's basically... <laughs> I think this book did a half good job. That's why I liked the passions thing. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. are there satyrs who like sex? Absolutely cool. In general, the satyrs, they're sex positive as a kith, as a whole, culturally. Yeah. Cool. But like, there's a lot of other passion going along. Yeah, I would have liked, the only thing I would have liked a bit more explaining some of the other passions, like you said, and just even just throwing out a bunch of other ones. They can also, just offhand, like one sentence, there's also other passions, such as blah, 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 or whatever. That would have been great, but. We get a bit of that for the Unsealy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean. <laughs> Maybe something a little bit more workable than assassination. But yeah, more, more. You know, they could they could try to turn around that whole autumn people really hating stamp collectors and like have a stamp collector's hater. I think the passions should be ones I think they should all be of a type. And I'm yeah, I'm not sure what that type is. Yeah, okay, it needs to be more involved in stamp collecting, you're right. Something about primalness or earthiness. I don't know I don't know how else to mm-hmm. describe it. But I mean debating's not that. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. And you like debating. Like I think woodworking could work. I don't want them to step too much on the toes of the the space of the other kiss, though. Like, but not like practical woodworking, like sculptures or something. Art is yeah, art in general could work. Yeah. What are other hobbies? Gardening. Is that earthy? Horticulture. Landscaping. You know what? Seder landscaping makes total sense. Landscapers makes total sense to me. Why not? Like shirtless and they're going up. And never mind. I'm getting off topic. So then I, th- I think that is it for listener questions. Yeah. Satyrs. This book, despite me having similar issues to you with the book, made me revisit my love of satyrs mm-hmm. and go, you know what? I think I need to add them to the list of kiths that I actually do really like. They're like mid tier this... for me. I wouldn't say no to playing one, but they're not going to be my first choice. Yeah. But it did a better job, even though it, you said it just revisited things. I mean, Kithbook trolls maybe like trolls less. So, I mean, that's. And Kithbook knockers maybe feel guilty about liking knockers. So, I mean, this is. All right. Well, step in the right direction then. Yep. And cherish it because the next two are going to (laughs) be. Oh, wait. Oh, I thought you're going to love Kithbook Puka. I thought I was too. Maybe I did. Yeah. So, you can find us, uh, changelingthepodcast.com. You can join our Discord, chat with us, discord.me slash ctp. You can email us, podcast at changingthepodcast.com. You can go to our Facebook page, uh, Changeling the Podcast. You can send us a toot at changelingpod at dice.camp. Once again, I'm Josh. I remain Puka. I guess I'm a satyr with a passion for podcasting? Hey, phew. Better than some other choices. Part of our due diligence for this episode was to seek out lusty satyr landscapers who could jazz up the green space in front of the freehold a bit, but we underestimated quite how passionate they could be about garden design. Now, to get to the recording booth, one must run through a gauntlet of semi-sentient topiaries, shield one's eyes against the tetrachromatic flower beds on either side of the rath, and shove open a series of gates hand-hewn out of wood salvaged from a sunken pirate ship. In addition, the entire team insisted on working shirtless the whole time, which was extremely distracting. No doubt, when we get to Kithbook Redcaps, we'll be able to contract a Corby willing to devour the more over-the-top elements of the design, but we are nevertheless grateful to our patrons who made these improvements possible. Derek. 
Dorkadas, Jason Vines, Oreo, Raz Gaboos, Sandshaker, Sija, and Terry Robinson. If you'd like to get a shout-out at the end of each episode like those fine folks, please consider signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast. We'd also be grateful if you'd leave a review of our podcast on the listening platform of your greatest convenience, and or letting your Tragos friends and lovers know about our show. In any case, thanks for listening, and until next time, keep on dreaming.